Yo, 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 welcome back to Just Talking Sports. I'm your host, JT Noah. And on today's episode, man, do we have a good one. We got Texas versus TCU. We got the NBA in the young season. We have college basketball upsets already. And are they fully loaded with upsets? And then finish it off, we got the NFL. Thinking about the Vikings-Bills ending, what a crazy ending. We got the Eagles losing their undefeated season to the Commanders. What? That's all right here on Just Talking Sports with me, your host, JT Noah. Okay, let's get right into it with the big game. The game that everyone thought was going to be Texas taking down TCU for the first time. And guess what? It didn't happen, folks. TCU stays unbeaten. They beat number 18 Texas in Austin 17-10. to Listen, man, TCU has that game, finally, where people were like, they haven't won. Their schedule's like a uh, week. And guess what? They were like, this is the game where they're going to fall. That's where they're going to fall. They're going to fall down the rankings, and they're not going make to the, make the college football playoffs. Well, guess what? TCU came, and they played a game that... We haven't seen them play all season. I'm talking defensively, they showed up. They only gave up three points on the defensive side. Yeah, it was 17 to 10, but you got to realize TCU fumbled the football inside their own, excuse me, inside the other side. So in Texas territory, and then Texas picked it up and returned it. It was a scoop and score with four minutes and 25 seconds to make it a one possession game, a 48 48-yard scoop and score. So, if you want to talk about TCU, their defense showed up. Sure, their offense didn't play well, but Texas was there to play. It was at home for Texas in a full loadout stadium, ready for Texas to pull off, quote-unquote, an upset rankings-wise, but in Vegas's eyes, it wouldn't be an upset. So, people were really hammering Texas to win. And it's hard to win on the road in college football. We talked about it last week but guess what TCU went into Austin and took the W folks it just shows that TCU doesn't need their offense to win games and it shows the Big 12 is not an offensive firepower I guess but my big big learning point from this game is this when will Sarkeesian the head coach for Texas win big games constantly listen to this guys he has got six games last year that were one-score games. They, he went 3-3, three and three, but he was 1-3 versus ranked opponents. So he's got to find the consistency. You go from 3-3 three and three last year to this year where he's played seven, and he's 2-5 and five in those big games. And guess what? He's 0-3 against ranked opponents. So... We're talking about close games here. One possession. He had six last year. He went three and three, one and three against ranked opponents. And then this year he had seven one score games so far. He's two and five in 0 and three versus ranked opponents. So when is Sarkeesian going to win these close games? We talked about Frost up in Nebraska having these close game losses one possession, and we were thinking he was going to turn it around sooner than later. But guess what? He never did. He got fired this year. So I get it. Sarkeesian's in his second year, but it's just showing he hasn't been able to win close games in one possession, and he for sure hasn't done it consistently against ranked opponents. So when will that change for Texas? 
Another big game that actually was an upset, rankings-wise and Vegas' eyes, was number 25, Washington, beating number 6, Oregon, 37-34. And here's the thing. The big, big thing is... Oregon's not making the college football playoffs. You know, it was going to be close because of them getting blown out by Georgia in the first week. It was going to be hard to see Oregon get in just because you don't want to see that matchup again. So it's going to be hard enough for them to get in even if they won out. Well, now that they've lost, they're not going to make it. And now all the chips for the Pac-12 are in on USC. If USC does not win out, which is going to be tough, they play UCLA this week, it's going to be tough for them. If they do not win out, the Pac-12, once again, will not have a representation in the college football playoffs. And here's the thing. Oregon kind of, it felt like they self-destructed in a sense in the last couple possessions. So let's, let's, let's take it back. Okay. It's got a minute and 26 left. You're on your own 34-yard line. You're tied, okay? So it's 34-34. I get it. You're tied. Your defense has been playing skeptical in the second half. But you're going to go for it on fourth and one, which I'm totally cool with. You can go for it. No biggie. But here's the thing. Why would you take it out of your best player's hand? Bo Nix has been the hottest player for Oregon on their offense. And guess what? You decide to run the football to Winnington. And guess what? He doesn't get it. Washington takes over already in field goal range. They they milk the clock a little bit. They kick the field goal. They make it. They win 37-34. They knock Oregon out of making the college football playoffs. And it gives Washington a nice caliber win on the road. So that's beautiful for Washington. And then the other game that we're going to talk about just a little bit. Because we talked a little bit about it. Because it was like on the verge of my upset. But I didn't do it. It's number 7 LSU beating Arkansas. And listen. This was a sloppy old school SEC matchup. And you're thinking what do you mean JT sloppy? Well, it was because of coaching decisions and offensive play that made it so low scoring. Yes, the defense has played well, but there was help with these coaching decisions by Arkansas specifically. So, LSU now plays in the SEC Championship, so that's great for them. But think about it. They play UAB this week, which is, I would say, a win. Then you head to College Station to play Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M can't make a bowl. They've had a really sloppy, terrible, no good season. So you should win that game. But remember, going on the road in college football in general, but in the SEC, is tough. And the reason I think LSU won this game against Arkansas is because of Arkansas having backups play at QB. They didn't have Jefferson at starting QB. He's banged up. He couldn't play. So they play the backup. And the backup, I'm not I'm not calling the backup bad. He just isn't able to throw the football consistently like Jefferson. He can run better than Jefferson, but you have to be able to throw the football or you're going to be one-dimensional offense. And guess what? That's what Arkansas became in the second half. So that's where it happened. But I mean, the fresh Harold Perkins Jr., outside linebacker, defensive end, whatever you want to call him. He's a freshman, 18 years old. He had four sacks on the day. Huge day. And the crazy thing is, 
is Brian Kelly, the head coach for LSU, said that he was sick before the game. He was throwing up before the game, and he goes, Brian goes, you're going to have an MJ kind of game. And then afterwards, he literally goes, you did have an MJ kind of game. Because remember, Michael Jordan, MJ, had the flu game. Well, this is now Perkins is sick game because he had four sacks he was a dominant force for lsu he'd started playing qb spy to make sure the quarterback wasn't going to run for arkansas he played well now the big question comes for lsu do they have a legitimate chance against uh georgia in the sec championship and i'll tell you this it's kind of funny because as much as we want to talk and say wow lsu beat Alabama. But guess what? It was in Death Valley. It is totally different when you're playing at your stadium against these ranked opponents. Now, this game's on a neutral field, but it's kind of like a home game for Georgia in a sense. You're playing in Atlanta. So now it's like, do you believe in LSU to stop uh, Georgia's offense? Because let's be real, Stetson Bennett has been playing well of late. And can this offense for LSU move the football on this great defense that Georgia has. And I'll say this, I don't think it's going to happen. If the line came out today, I believe the spread would be about 13-point favorite for Georgia. Yeah, I think it would be about 13 points. I'm just saying that's how high I see Georgia. Georgia could go back-to-back this year, and I don't think I don't know what's stopping them from doing it. So I'm taking Georgia in the SEC championship, and they're going to be the number one spot in the college football playoffs. Now, obviously, if LSU wins, then we have a whole spinneroo going on because the college football playoffs will go boom and blow up. But here's a question that we haven't talked about. We talked about the big game where Michigan and Ohio State could possibly get in. We've talked about the SEC and how three teams could get in for them. And so that's still a possibility, FYI, for the SEC three teams. But here's one we haven't talked about, and we've brushed to the side. It's scary. It's very long shot. It's USC, folks. USC. If they win out and win the Pac-12 championship, they win their next three games, including which is including that Pac-12 championship, do they get in over Tennessee, say? Because you know Ohio State and Michigan play. Great. They're 2-3 and three right now. They play each other next week. And so if uh, – sorry, excuse me. If USC wins out, do – they get in over a Tennessee because then you have to move one team up. Tennessee's at five right now. Okay, cool. And then you have the USC wins out and wins the Pac-12. Okay, well, they're the Pac-12 champion. Tennessee doesn't get to go play in the SEC championship because they lost to Georgia. So do you take the Pac-12 championship over Tennessee or do you keep Tennessee who's had quote-unquote, a better season and played more ranked, tougher opponents than USC. I think you keep Tennessee, but it'd be very, it wouldn't shock me if they put USC in because they won out and won the Pac-12 championship. I do believe that would help, honestly, TCU, though. Think about it. TCU, I'll say this, has no chance against Georgia. They don't match up well. But say, okay, you have Georgia 1, you have the Michigan-Ohio State winner 2. If TCU wins, they move up to 3, then you put 4 
USC. So here's that thing where now you have USC Georgia. Okay, that's cool. But TCU then has a chance against the Big Ten winner. I think they match up well. Think about it. TCU versus Ohio State, that would be a barn burner. First to 50 wins. So that's why I think it would help out TCU because if Tennessee gets in you know the committee is not going to put Tennessee at four because they've already seen them play Georgia so then Tennessee is going to jump frog leapfrog the horn frogs and get to three while TCU stays at four and they have to play Georgia that's not a matchup TCU wants they don't want Georgia they can say they want Alabama Georgia all they want they don't want them in the first round they would rather see the Big Ten championship instead of Georgia so that's where would help TCU because USC I don't think could leapfrog TCU and TCU would be the three and USC would be the four all right so there's that now let's get on to games to watch and upsets and boy oh boy we're talking Pac-12 in these games to watch because let's be real the Pac-12 has two beautiful games this week let's start off with the 7 p.m. you have number seven USC headed to UCLA the Coliseum Facing number 16, UCLA. It's going to be a great game. The running back for USC is out. Can UCLA contain Caleb Williams? UCLA has not handled running quarterbacks well this season. Can they do that against Caleb Williams? We'll find out. I think USC will eke this game out, but it'll be close. Then you have number 10, Utah, versus number 12, Oregon. And first thing, I think Oregon overlooked Washington. They were looking ahead to Utah, and that hurt them. I think they're going to be ready for Utah. Oregon's going to come out with a little bit more fire, and they're going to score hard. I like Oregon to win, and it's going to be a high-scoring game, folks. I think it's going to be in the upper 40s in this game, but give me Oregon to beat Utah. And so, now we move on to the upsets that I have. And I'll be honest, I'm two for two in the last two weeks. Liberty over Arkansas, and I told you to take TCU over Texas. I'm two for two in the last two weeks, and since I'm so hot, let's double it. I'm giving you two upsets this week. You ready? I bet you're not, but I am. Here it is. One of them, I can't believe I'm doing. I'm giving the Jayhawks some more talk. Give me the Jayhawks to beat Texas. Texas is coming to Lawrence, Kansas as a nine-point favorite over Kansas. And here's the thing. Texas didn't play well against TCU. They just had a hard-fought loss against TCU. And Kansas is going to come in. They lost also to Texas Tech. But here's the thing. It was at Tech. Kansas plays wetter at home. And guess what? They've only given up over 30 points one time this year at home has the Jayhawks. Give me the Jayhawks to beat the Longhorns. And once again, you got to go back to last year. For some reason, it feels like Kansas always plays Texas hard. They beat them last year, and guess what? They're beating them this year. Back-to-back years, the Jayhawks beat the Longhorns. My number two pick of upset is also in the Big 12. And this one shocks me, folks. I don't get it. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something. But number 22, Oklahoma State, plays and Norman, Oklahoma. It's Bedlam, baby. But guess what? Oklahoma is a seven and a half point favorite. I don't get it. I don't know why. Oklahoma State, sure, has had a stretch where they haven't looked good, but Oklahoma hasn't looked any better. How is Oklahoma State a seven and a half point 
underdog to Oklahoma. Give me Oklahoma State, the Cowboys, to beat the Sooners. I just like what Oklahoma State has done this season over Oklahoma. So give me Oklahoma State to beat Oklahoma. So the two upsets, you got the Kansas Jayhawks over Texas, which is a nine-point favorite for Texas. And then give me Oklahoma State over Oklahoma, a seven-and-a-half-point favorite Oklahoma Sooners go down. All right, folks, man, when we get back, we're shooting hoops. We're headed to the basketball realm. We're talking NBA and college basketball. That's right here on UCM The Beat. You're listening to Just Talking Sports with me, JT Noah. Do you like hearing certain predictions for upcoming games and power rankings according to different sources? Not those self-proclaimed experts. You can hear my predictions every Friday on Taking the Snap with me, your host, Colin Sumler, only on UCM The Beat. People been saying to your friend, get a different face. And posting on their feed, they're super ugly. The things they say to them online are cruel and they're not true. So tell your friend, I'll stand up for you. Don't worry, I know what to do. Tell the world I see. With an emoji. To stop the bullies. Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. <laughs> juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom I want Mommy. juice. Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to Just Talking Sports. I'm your host still, JT Noah. And if there's one thing I'm really bad at, it's math. And I'll tell you, I'm really bad at math, but luckily I got through it in college. You know what else I'm really bad at? is telling you the question of the day and giving you the answer consistently. Well, guess what? I have a question for you. I was supposed to give it to you at the beginning of the show, but guess what? I forgot. So you're getting it now. Here's the question. In 2017, so we're going back a while, folks, five years to be exact. In 2017, 2017 was the last time there was a snowstorm football game. It was against... Colts and Bills. It was in Buffalo, and we'll get into the reason I'm doing this later. But so, when was the what was the quarterback battle in that game? Remember, it's Colts versus Bills in 2017. Who were the two quarterbacks in that game? You'll get that a little later if you're lucky. Also, let's get into the basketball realm, man. Basketball is underway. It's going crazy. We're going to start with the NBA, the pros, the big boys. Then we're going to move to the college basketball area. So let's get into it. What is big about the NBA so far? Well, I'll tell you what's one thing. The Boston Celtics, folks, they're on a roll. They've won eight straight. 
they have the best duo in the NBA right now, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Tatum from the St. Louis area, way to go. Went to Duke, now playing with Boston. What a what a player he has become in the Boston Celtics. He's a huge guy, like the man, plays well. He's a great duo with Jalen Brown. Now, you also have the number one offense in the league. And you know how it separates them from number two, which number two is the Sacramento Kings in offense. But here's the gap between one and two, the Celtics and Kings. It is as big as the Celtics who are number two to number 11 offense, offensively. So that's how big their gap is. That's how good they are on the offensive side. They've won eight straight. They look phenomenal on offense. Sure, they're shaky on defense. But when you have that good of an offense, you'll be just fine. And that's what they're doing. They're winning games eight straight, looking really hot, looking really good right now for the Boston Celtics. A team that started hot but is now cooled off is the Utah Jazz. They started 10 and 3. They've now lost 3 straight. So now they're 10 and 6. They started hot. Everyone's like, oh wow, this team could be something. And they still can be. Listen, no one thought they were gonna do anything, just like the Seattle Seahawks of the NFL, and so far they've played well. Now, here's the thing. The guard trio for Utah has to pick it back up. In those three losses in a row, they're only averaging the three trio guards they have. They're averaging just over 28 points a game, and they're only shooting 30% during those games. That's not good. You got to shoot better. You're the guards. I know you can do the assist and passing, but you got to shoot. 30% in the last three games, that's 10% a game, folks. That's not good. They've got to pick it back up if they want to have a chance to get into the playoffs when no one thought they were going to do anything this year. Can those can those trios get going again, or is it just going to take a free fall down? We'll see, but right now they've got to figure it out with those trios. Another player that is playing hot, it's Bam Adebayo, man, for the Miami Heat. Listen to this. He sat out last night, okay? So these are the two games before. He sat out last night with a knee contusion, okay? But he had 54 points, 25 rebounds, and 5 assists in the last two games before last night when he sat out. So, the last two games he's played, he's been phenomenal. 54 points, 25 rebounds, and 5 assists for your big man? You gotta love it, man. 25 boards is huge. That's great for him. I mean, 54 points. Whew, that is a lot, folks. I don't think you understand. Like, that's in two games. That's phenomenal. Like, 27 a night phenomenal like wow so bam is figuring it out and i think it's going to be good hopefully the knee contusion doesn't keep him out for too long but when he's on he's been on the last couple games and hopefully he can keep it going because the heat started slow and now they're picking it up they got jimmy butler they got bam and they've got kyle lowry so can they figure it out down in this beach down there and then they can keep going in the east And then the last team, it's the Warriors, folks. These Warriors aren't the same Warriors or were associated with seed. And what I mean by that is they're 0-8 to start the season on the road. They lost last night. They were 0-7 until last night, and you thought maybe they could beat the Suns, and then they didn't. So they're 0-8 to start the season on the road. Not very good at all. Actually, it's really bad. Like, wow, okay, dog water bad. If you ever had dog water... 
I haven't, but I've heard it's pretty bad. So maybe it's like the Warriors. I don't know. Don't drink dog water. That's all I know. Also, it's just not good. Klay Thompson hasn't been playing well. He's been the disappointment for this team because he's coming back. He's getting his first real full season in, and he hasn't done anything. Last night, he was getting mocked. So, I mean, they've got to figure it out down with the Warriors. Now, am I concerned that they're not going to make the playoffs? No. I mean, if the playoffs started right now, they wouldn't be in. But I know they're going to figure it out. Curry's a great coach. Curry is going to do Curry things. So Wiggins is still there. Clay's going to figure it out sooner than later. It, he, he can't do this all season, right? Like, no way. So, I mean, the two biggest disappointments so far this season have to be the Nets and the Warriors. The Lakers, we knew what the Lakers were going to do. But the Warriors, we never saw this coming at all folks i didn't at least okay so let's move on to some college basketball and man oh man upsets 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 that's all we got so far but we're first gonna start with this game we're gonna start with the big game that was for the armed forces gonzaga versus michigan state and the reason I'm going to start with this game is not because Michigan State beat Gonzaga. They didn't. They lost by one. Gonzaga won 64-63. But here's the thing. Michigan State looks great. And we could talk about Gonzaga, which we will in a minute. But Michigan State that night watching that game, it was like, wow, Tom Izzo has a team here. And he can do something special with this team because no one thinks they can win the Big Ten. But they can be a dark horse to win it because they're playing tight with Gonzaga. And at first I was like, maybe it's just Gonzaga not going to be as good. But then you just keep watching and you're like, okay, this is a young team for Michigan State. They're going to make some mistakes. And they did in the final couple of minutes against Gonzaga, which that leadership from Drew Timmy showed up for Gonzaga. But Gonzaga pulls it out, wins 64-63. But it showed me that Michigan State can be the dark horse team for the Big Ten. So that happened on Friday. Then the same night, you had UC Irvin, who was a 15.5-point underdog at number 21, Oregon, beat Oregon 69-56. And the one thing I learned from that is UCLA, the Pac-12 is yours to lose, man. I know we thought... We thought UCLA was going to win the Pac-12, but it's showing that the Pac-12 is not that heavy as we think. UCLA is the Pac-12 winner-take-all kind of thing where they have the keys, they can't slip up. So I think it's like this. UCLA, is what I think, is going to be an automatic bid to get into the tournament. Now it's going to be like, will USC, Oregon find a way to get in? But right now, UCLA is on top, and then it's just the rest. And so that's where it ranks right now for me. And then on the same night, on Friday, another upset happened. And that happened with Temple. Five and a half point underdog, so not that much, against Villanova, which was ranked number 16 at the time. They beat Villanova 68-64. And here's the thing about Villanova. If you didn't know, Villanova doesn't have Jay Wright anymore. Wright retired, so now they're down a, a head coach, obviously. They bring in a new one, and so... You know it's not going to be the same kind of philosophy and everything for them just because of Wright was different. Wright knew how to coach his players and how to teach them the ways and ins and outs. So you knew it was going to start slow for them. Well, it's kind of started really slow for them, and can they build it back up? Now, I'm not saying Villanova is going to be completely 
do do this year, but I'm just saying they're going to take a step back and it's not going to be that great of a season. They're still going to make the tournament. They're still probably going to win a game or two in the tournament, but they're just not as good as they have been in the past years. Then the big one, the big, big, big one, folks. This happened Sunday. Standalone game, Colorado 16-point underdog beats number 11 Tennessee 78-66. to Double-digit win for the Buffs. And it's just like this. I don't think really anything differently of Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah, they're young. They're going to be great. And I still think they can compete with Kentucky on any given night. Those two teams are going to match up very well in the SEC. So I'm not really worried about Tennessee. They had a slip-up, a bad shooting night. I don't think anything differently of Tennessee. I think they still can compete with Kentucky. And they still could win the SEC. Now, going on Monday, Northwestern State. Northwestern State, folks, do you know where that is? I do not. But guess what? They were a 21.5-point underdog with number 15 TCU. And guess what? Those boys that were 21.5-point underdog came out with the win, 64-63. Now, here's the thing. The Big 12 is going to be tough, man. Kansas has looked really good. Grady Dick out there. McCullers transferred from Texas Tech to Kansas. They still have Harris. So those dudes for the Jayhawks are still going to play well. Yeah, they lost Ochabai and Brown. But guess what? They still have pieces. And right now, they're playing without Bill Self, who's suspended for the first four games. So guess what? They're only going to get better when Self gets back. So it's going to be tough in the Big 12. It's always tough. You got Kansas, TCU, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. I mean, Texas. We'll get into Texas in a minute, but you have Texas. So the Big 12 is very tough, and I couldn't tell you who's going to win. If I had a pick, I would stick with Kansas just because Kansas is proving champions. They just came off the championship winning season last year. So I would stick with them to win the Big 12. Okay, now you get to Michigan State again. Michigan State on Tuesday played against Kentucky in the big State Farm Champions Classic. And guess what? Michigan State was a seven-point underdog. I get it. They're coming off a huge, big game against Gonzaga, which they lost on an aircraft. So, but they win it, folks. They beat Kentucky, number four Kentucky, 86-77 to in double overtime. And in both instances, end of regulation and end of Overtime number one, the defense collapsed for Kentucky. On the one before overtime even started the first one, it was an inbound under the basket. Uh, Ochobai lost his man, and he gets open. So, oh, excuse me, not Ochobai. Uh, it was Oscar Shweeboy, a Tishiboy. So he loses his man, defensive player of the year, huge man. He loses his man under the basket. Guess what? He goes up, gets the layup, ties it. And Kentucky can't take the lead. Then in the first overtime, when it comes to end of regulation, here's the problem. Tashibwe is out. He's gone. He fouled out. So uh, they run. Michigan State runs the double pass where the guy out of bounds who's passing it in throws it to another player that's out of bounds. And the guy that passed it runs down the court. His guy that sees him runs, sees it too late. He gets it. Then he throws it to the outside. Pump fake gets inside for the layup. Guess what? We're tied again. We go to double overtime. 
and Kentucky didn't have Oscar, and guess what? That was a huge loss, and that's where Michigan State went, right at the backup, and guess what? That's why the Spartans win. Sparty Nation has had a big-time victory against Kentucky, and they had a really good game against Gonzaga on an aircraft, losing by one. So if I'm a Michigan State fan, I'm liking what I've seen so far from this team in the young season. That same night, number six, Kansas, was an underdog to number seven, Duke. I know it was only one point. I, I get it, but it's still an underdog. But Kansas comes out with the win, 69-64, and Kansas went on a 15-2-5 run to end the game. Listen, Grady Dick started it off. Dude is a baller, man. He's making sick layups be reversed under the rim, lay up with the left, lay up with the right. Then he can pull the three. Grady Dick is going to be a menace in the Big 12 this year. He could win freshman of the year if he stays healthy and plays like he has. He was a huge contributor, and he's the one that started the 15-5 to run to help Kansas beat Duke. Now, UNLV, this is an upset that same night was a four-point underdog, beats number 21, Dayton, 60-52. to And here's the question for everyone. It's going to be, how will Dayton rebound? Listen, we've all seen it. They're, they're, they're ranked high, they're playing well, then they lose. How are they going to rebound from this game? Will they get a nice win, or will they play down a couple more games before they finally figure it out? They've got to play with momentum, and they've got to bounce back. They can't sit there and let the ball keep bouncing. Can they bounce back from this loss? That's all we got to figure out from Dane. I think Dane was a little bit overhyped. I like St. Louis a little bit out of that uh, conference, so we'll see what happens right there. But will Dayton bounce back, or will they just sit on the bench and watch the season go down? And then the last one. It happened last night, folks. It was supposed to be a really good game. And guess what? It was Texas versus Gonzaga. Gonzaga coming off that tough win against Michigan State on the aircraft. They're number two. Headed to Austin to play number 11, Texas. And Texas gave it to the Bulldogs, folks. 93-74 win for Texas. It was a huge win for Texas, not just because them beating Gonzaga, but the way they did it, folks. It was a huge win. Hunter, the transfer from Iowa State, played great, hit some threes. I mean, he hit three straight threes back to back to back that just blew the game open in the second half. Gonzaga didn't have an answer. And so we were thinking maybe it was Michigan State that was playing well against Gonzaga. And they did. I will give them that. But maybe we also got to realize this Gonzaga team isn't like last year's or the years before this Gonzaga team where they're going to be fine because they have the leadership. Drew Timmy is the oldest player on this team. They have a lot of young guns playing for them. How will these young guns react? They've got to space the floor more. They try to play with two big guys, and that makes Drew Timmy not very, I wouldn't say isolated, but he's congested inside. You have to have four shooters in Drew Timmy because Drew Timmy works so well when he, he's got the space in the paint and in the arc. So that's what they've got to figure out. they got to figure out the young team. They just played a tough game on the aircraft, like I've said. So that's why I think it was like a really bad timing for this game. Texas was coming in, ready to play. They came out firing. They took the lead into half, and they never looked back, and they just ran away with it in the second half. 
So, do I think anything different of Gonzaga? No. I mean, yes, I do. But do I still think they're going to make the tournament? Yes. Gonzaga is going to take a couple steps back this year. Listen, they're going to fall into about the 4 or 5 range for the seeding. I still think they can beat BYU and St. Mary's. So, I don't think they're going to have a problem in their conference. It's just they're going to take a step back from competing. And another thing is... Gonzaga doesn't really play high-caliber teams. Like, nothing against them. Like, I get it. They don't play these high-caliber teams usually, especially in the regular season. But when it comes to non-conference, usually they're playing little leagues and, like, lower D1 schools like Colorado and all those. They're not playing these high-ranked opponents. But this year they are, and it's because they're playing better throughout the years before. So we haven't really got to see them play their non-conference schedule just because they're not playing those high-class schools, and now they are, so all the spotlight's on them. So I think that also helps when it comes because they usually do start a little slower than what we're seeing. Like, we, we see them play well, and they stay undefeated for a while, but that's because of the opponents they're playing. Now they're playing higher-ranked opponents, so if they start slow, they can't catch up like what happened last night. Usually they could catch up and win, and then everyone's like, oh, they just won, they had a sloppy night. Well, last night it shows maybe, hey, they they have these sloppy nights, they can't always catch up and win. They had to play catch-up against Michigan State. They did it last night, and they didn't even come close to winning. So they've got to play with a lead. They got to shoot better and play defensive better. Take care of the foot, uh, football. Take care of the basketball. If I'm Gonzaga, so am I worried for them? Yes. Do I think they make the uh, tournament? Yeah. Come on, they're gonna make it. Mark Few is a coach. He's a hall. He could be college football hall of fame. Football man, I'm on that football college basketball hall of fame. So I think he's that high of a coach for Gonzaga I think he's going to figure it out and they're going to have a good season they're just not going to be number one or number two all season they're going to be more like 10 9 or 10 this season Alrighty, folks as you can tell I'm anticipating football so we're going to hop into that when we get back right here on UCM the beat with just talking sports with me JT Noah are you interested in Chiefs football or the NFL then join me, Colin Sumler, every Friday at noon time, taking the snap only on UCM The Beat. Hear my game predictions, power rankings, and more. Hey y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. I love that country music connects people all over this great nation, but unfortunately so does something else, childhood hunger. 15 million children struggle with hunger in America. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks works to rescue our surplus food to help provide billions of meals to families in need across the country. Join the fight against hunger at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Also, don't forget your papers are being by the class. Have a great weekend. So how are your classes going? Pretty good. But ever since I started commuting this semester, I've had a hard time staying up to date with things going on at UCM. You should check out the Mule Skinner's online publication, digitalberg.com. The Mule Skinner? Isn't that just a print newspaper? Yeah, it is. But their website, digitalberg.com, stays up to date 24-7, bringing you the latest UCM news whenever you need it. Really? That's pretty cool. I have no idea. Digitalberg.com is your anytime, anywhere access to everything Mule Skinner and UCM news related. You don't want to be behind on the latest news. 
digitalbird.com is your one-stop site for everything UCM and Warrensburg news related. See photos, videos, press releases, sports updates, and more at digitalbird.com in conjunction with the Mule Skinner. What are you waiting for? Stop by now. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back, guys. And guess what? You know what time it is. It's the NFL time. It's time to look into that NFL and look back to that past week. But guess what, man? This is a different one. I mean, we're talking Vikings, Bills, and what in the world was that at the end? So let's get right into it with that game, shall we? Yes, we will. But let's do this. All right. So we got to start with Let's start with the Justin Jefferson catch. Okay, Justin Jefferson, man. Fourth and 18, game on the line. Kirk Cousins throws it. It looks more like a corner out route to Justin Jefferson. He throws it up, and it's about, I would say, two or three yards deeper than Justin Jefferson expected. Justin Jefferson then leaps backwards with one arm, and he has help from the defender. And if I'm the defender, I know he's a, a younger. He's a, I think they said he's a second year. If you're that player, you're going to bat it down. And he said that in an interview after the game that he should have batted it down. And he's going to learn from it. And he kind of helps Justin Jefferson catch it. Because he's got his hands on it. And so does Justin Jefferson. He has one arm on it. And so with all of them having their hand on it, it keeps the ball from hitting the ground. Justin Jefferson makes the catch, reels it in, and they get a first down. And then it, the drive kept moving. It was it was right at the two-minute warning, 4th and 18, only one timeout for the Vikings. So they had to get the first down. They do. They keep moving the ball. And now we get inside the goal line. It's first and, ten, or first and goal at the 1. Kirk Cousins gets stepped on by his guard. He falls over. And then it's now second and goal, nothing. Third and goal, nothing. Now we're at fourth and goal. Okay, fourth and goal. It's a play action from I formation. A defender jumps off sides. He has Cook open. Cook drops it incomplete. They take the penalty. Okay, you get another shot. Now it's at inches. And so you run the QB sneak with Cousins. Cousins doesn't get in, folks. He does not get in. It's a turnover on downs with about 51 seconds left. So now, Buffalo, all you have to do is get the ball out of this territory, then take a knee because the Vikings only have one timeout. Okay, and it's it's way easier said than done. You're at your, like, inch yard line. They try to get the hard count. It doesn't happen. You have Josh Allen under center. He's not under center much, so this is, like, one of the few times he's under center, and they have a miss snap. It looked like Josh Allen had his hands too wide open because I know you guys can't see this, but when you're under center, your hands are like in a V. So like if you have your hands like a V, they are very tight usually. So like, so the ball can just snap right into him. But it looked like what happened was Allen separated his hands. And so when he separated his hands, the ball went right through his hands and hit him in the chest. And Allen's trying to just fall forward once he gets the ball. He feels the ball. Well, since it went through his hands and hit him in the chest as he's falling, the ball just fell to the ground. Well, Kendricks, the linebacker for the Vikings, he was coming in because as much as we, we think the defense was just going to give up for the Vikings, they fought. And so they're trying to get there and they have the defensive tackles going at the center's knees trying to get him out so they can get to Josh Allen. Well, when Josh Allen fumbles it, 
all these Vikings can see it because they're leaning forward while the center and offensive line are going the opposite way the football was, and Eric Kendricks gets on it in the end zone for a touchdown. So now you have the Vikings in the lead because of this. Well, it's only a three-point lead, so Josh Allen and the uh, Bills obviously have time. They have their timeouts. They get down the field. They kick the field goal. We go to overtime. Okay, that's cool. Awesome. Vikings win the toss. They get into field goal range because Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins are now figuring it out, the connection of late. They get into field goal range, kick the field goal, go up by three. And then the Bills start moving the football. And it looks really good for Buffalo. And then it looks like Josh Allen knows he's not supposed to throw the post and he throws it still and guess what it's interception patrick peterson with the second one of the game seals the game the vikings get out with the victory now here's the thing the game flipped in the fourth quarter at the beginning of it you know why because it was 27 to 17 10 point game right okay that's cool they're fourth in two in the red zone were the Bills. And guess what? They go for it. If you kick the field goal, you go up by 13. Instead, they go for it. It was at their 8-yard line. They go for it. They're trying to go for the kill. Okay? But the problem was is Josh Allen tried to force the football. It was intercepted by Patrick Peterson. And guess what? He returned it to the 30. So now, instead of starting inside their own 10, they're starting at the 30. So that was a big change. I know it was fourth down, whatever. The problem was is where they flipped the field because of the interception return. Not only that... Then you had the interception at the end of overtime that sealed the game, and you had the fumble at end of regulation. So here's the thing. The last three weeks for Josh Allen have been very bad, like horrible. He has seven turnovers in the last three weeks. He had three Sunday, two the following week, and two the other week. So he's turning the ball over at a high rate. Also, Josh Allen has six red zone turnovers in the last two seasons. That's tied for the most. So, Josh Allen's got to figure out his turnover problem. And I think another problem the Bills have is this. They press in late games. Think about it. The last two times they've been in what they've been considering games of the year, games of whatever, they've lost in overtime. The Chiefs last year and now the Vikings. They haven't won close games. It's because I feel they're pressing. Listen, McDermott is a straight face coach. Do you ever see him smiling? Like when the game is on the line... I feel they're just so stressing out. Like when the game's on the line for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, they're smiling. And like Andy Reid and Enemy are just playing calls. Like when the Chiefs were down to the Titans two weeks ago, there was no like, I don't think there was like sense of stress at all on that team. It was just like, okay, we're going to go out there. Let's go score. We'll be fine. Guess what? They did. But when it comes to the Bills, it feels like they just don't know how to have I wouldn't say fun, but they got to relax. I feel if they relax a little more, they would have fun and they would be okay in the fourth quarter with these close games, but they don't have that. Now, the thing is, is the Vikings keep winning, man. The close games, I don't care. They keep winning. That's all that matters. They're 8-1. They keep winning. That's all you have to do in the NFL. Any given Sunday, go out there and win. They do that. I don't care how lucky they are. I don't care how wild the game is. If they're winning, they're winning. I don't care. Give it to me. They're winning. I like it. Let's move on to the Packers versus Cowboys, man. Overtime game number two. Fox had back-to-back overtime games. What viewership they probably had. Listen, Rodgers Rogers looked like his old self. That's what I want to say. He looked like he was having fun. And guess what? Christian Watson 
Watson had three touchdowns. The rookie, he was catching the ball. Sure, he had a couple more drops at the beginning, but then he found it. He made the catches. He looked good. Watson finally came into a groove. Now, here's the thing. Was it bigger for the Packers or Cowboys? I think the Cowboys were exposed a little bit, but the Packers needed this, obviously, because the Vikings keep winning. Packers got to start winning sooner than later. My question is, why did McCarthy go for it on fourth and five? And I get it. It was in overtime. I get it. Oh, we can look back at it now, but I don't get why you're going for it. If you're going to go for it, fourth and five, right? Third and five, what do you do? You call a pass. Why wouldn't you run it if you knew you were going to go for it? That's where I want to know. Why wouldn't you not run the football on third and five, then call a play for fourth and five? Like, it felt like it was just a split second moment. Hey, we're actually going to go for it. Like, why not kick the field goal? If you're going to go for it, run the football, see if you can get some yards. Like, why pass it and not get any? You're probably going to get it one or two at the least on that third and five run because I bet the Packers aren't even expecting it. So run the football if you're going to go for it on fourth. It just felt like a split second moment right there for McCarthy, and I don't like that. I don't like McCarthy in general, but that was a really bad play call, play sequence right there for McCarthy. And then my last team I want to talk about, the Eagles. The Eagles lose. Commanders beat the Eagles on Monday night. So it was 26-21. The final score ended up being 32-21 because on the last play, Eagles did some laterals, ended up in the end zone for the Commanders. So there you go, 32-21. The Commanders controlled this game the whole time. Listen, you want to know how you control it? Time of possession, 40 minutes to 20 minutes. The reason that helps is because now you're putting stress on the Eagles' offense to do more with less time. They're going to hurry things. They're not going to take the checkdowns or run the football because they're working with less time and that's what the commanders did and that's what happened the eagles had three turnovers we can talk about how goddard was face masked on the fumble the fumble but guess what it wasn't a face mask you want to know why like jason kelsey said on his podcast new heights it wasn't a flag so it wasn't a face mask because the refs didn't call it so stop saying it was a face mask if it didn't happen i I sense to always blame the refs when the Chiefs lose. I'm kind of getting over that. Like, think about it. When the Chiefs lost to the Bills, what can you blame? You couldn't blame nothing on the refs because we got away with a tripping on Josh Allen. So, like, I feel like when a team loses, and I've been in this situation before, Jason Kelsey made a great point. It's a loser's mentality to blame the refs. And we can say what happened at the end with Heineke and getting called for unnecessary roughness. Yeah, that was a weird call. But guess what? It was called. So that's what happens. I still think the Eagles are good. I still think they're a top five team, top two in the NFC. So I don't think anything different of the Eagles. It kind of played more like what happened with the Chiefs against the Colts. Shouldn't have lost, but it happened. So let's get into the rankings. My power rankings. We're going to start number 10 like a usual. New York Giants get in. They're not they weren't ranked last week. They're 72. Saquon top 5 MVP. Dable coach of the year, I think is beautiful. He's been doing well. Number 9, Tennessee Titans. They get back in. And guess what? They probably have the best coach in the NFL. Listen, I just said Dable's the coach of the year, but when you're talking about something, they're the best coach team. In the NFL. Think about it. They're down so many starters on defense. And they still did whatever they did to the Broncos. I don't care what you think of the Broncos offense. They still won the game. They gave a fight to the Chiefs in Arrowhead. With a backup quarterback. Without completing a pass to a wide receiver. They're the best coach team in the NFL. And they have the best third down defense. 
Number eight, Cincinnati Bengals. They were number 10. They're five and four, coming off a bye. Number one scoring team since week six. Obviously, they put up 42 against the Panthers, so that helps. You also, but here's the thing can they be a consistent run game? We'll find out. Number seven, the Ravens. Eight straight wins with 150 plus rushing yards. Wow, that's crazy. And they win a lot of big games, like primetime games, big games. They win those games usually. Number six is Buffalo, folks. Buffalo falls from four. They were at two. They've been dropping by twos. Their secondary is banged up. I give it to them like that. But Allen leads the league in 10 interceptions, three in the red zone, and they're just not a good second-half team. Number five, Miami Dolphins, man. They are explosive. And if they get the run game going with Waddle and Hill on the outside, Gasecki as a tight end, they're looking good. Two is undefeated. When he starts and finishes, Tua only has three turnovers all season. Wow. Number four is the San Francisco 49ers. Who's been on that hype train? I've been on that hype train. Give me the 49ers, man. They are great. Their defense ranks in the top three in every category. Number one in total defense. And each of the last two opponents have been scoreless in the second half. That defense is phenomenal. Jimmy Garoppolo won't give you too many turnovers, so he's just going to play the the managed game like Alex Smith where he won't turn over the ball. Obviously, Alex Smith didn't turn the ball over at all. Jimmy G does occasionally, but still, Jimmy G won't try to lose you those games. He's just going to hand it off to McCaffrey now. So, I mean, Debo as well. So, this defense is the core to the 49ers. Number three, the Philadelphia Eagles. They dropped from one to three with that loss. It was a very poor game by them. Let's just get that out of the way. Like I said, it felt like the Chiefs game against the Colts, but I don't feel anything different. I still think they're a good team. I love Jalen Hurts, not just because he's on my fantasy, but because he's played well. Also, Jordan Davis was the interior defense alignment for him, came out of Georgia. He's been hurt since they played Pittsburgh. But guess what? They went out and got that problem fixed. It felt like they could run the ball. Opponents could against them a little bit without Davis being there. They went out yesterday and they picked up Linvold Joseph, the defensive tackle. He was released by the Chargers. I think it was a great pickup by them to help with that interior defensive line for the run game. Number two. See, number one and number two, I could flip. I don't know, man. You tell me what you think. But at number two, I'm putting the Vikings. I'm putting the Vikings there. As I, I've been hyping up the Vikings. Like I said, Eagles and Vikings were my two NFC teams that I thought could make it to the NFC Championship. And I had the Eagles make it in the Super Bowl. Now, here's the thing. They find ways to win close games. And that's huge. Sure, you want blowouts. But it's huge to win close games. And they never give up. Their defense is like they always play with heart. Like at that last play where Josh Allen fumbles, they played with heart. Most teams just give up and let them fall forward. Guess what? Not the Vikings. Now, yes, they have a very questionable secondary where I think a team like the Chiefs and even like the Eagles, like they did uh, in the second week, could hit them over the top a lot. But that's okay. They're figuring it out and they're winning. They're 8-1. What can we say, right? And at number one, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. And the main reason I put the Chiefs at number one is, I hate to say it because I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Kirk Cousins is playing well this year. But if you had to tell me who are you taking, quarterback A or quarterback B, Patrick Mahomes or Kirk Cousins to have a game-winning drive, who are you taking? Who are you taking? Be honest with yourself. You're taking Patrick Mahomes, okay? That's why they're number one. And here's another thing. They have the 31st weakest schedule remaining, the Chiefs do. So, they're 7-2. I don't see them losing no more than two games this season. 
That's it. Cincinnati's going to be tough. Cincinnati's going to be tough. And you know the division's going to be playing tough, too. This Sunday night's going to be a tough one. But they have the 31st weakest schedule left. So the Chiefs are back at top. And the Vikings are at number two, folks. So, 10 Giants, 9 Titans, 8 Bengals, 7 Ravens, 6 Bills, 5 Dolphins, 4 49ers, 3 Eagles, 2 Vikings, and 1 Chiefs. So, let's get into some games to watch, man. So, the 12 p.m. slate, not much. You got the I, I picked the Jets versus Patriots just because it's an East division. Both these teams are in the playoffs if they started right now because guess what? Every team in the AFC East would be in the playoffs if it started right now. So that's why I have the Jets versus Pats. And the crazy things is, if the Jets win, they'll be tied for first with the Dolphins. Think about that. The Bills are in third place in the AFC East. They're sixth in the playoffs right now if it started. That's how big that loss was to the Vikings. So if the Jets win, they'll be tied with the Dolphins for first in the East. At 3 p.m., I got the Cowboys and Vikings. I think this is going to be a great game. I don't get why the Cowboys are favored by one point. I like the Vikings to win. Like I said, Cowboys' defensive run game especially has been questionable. I think Dalvin Cook is going to have a big game. So I think the Vikings are going to win. Cowboys are coming off a crucial loss to the Packers. And what I mean by crucial is a heartbreaking. You had a 14-point lead and you blow it. Because to the Packers, who aren't that good. So give me the Vikings to beat the Cowboys. I'll take, I'll take the Jets to beat the Patriots. I'm very skeptical about that because the Jets, Zach Wilson... Has very troublesome time against Bill Bel- Belichick. We'll see, though. In my se- uh, 7 p.m. game, Sunday Night Football, Chiefs are 6.5 against the Chargers in L.A. I like the Chiefs. Listen, especially if Mike Williams and Keenan Allen don't play for the Chargers, it's going to be a long night for the Chargers. If those two play, it's going to be better for them because you don't know if Juju or Miko Hardman are going to play for the Chiefs. So we'll see with that. Tony's coming along. He had a great breakout game, first career touchdown in the NFL, which is crazy to think, actually. But yeah, Tony had his first NFL career touchdown last week. I like the Chiefs to win. It's going to be probably 34-24 Chiefs. And then my upset. Okay, I'm telling you in an upset game right now just because... I think with the weather, if they stay where they are, I'm taking this as my upset. If it's not, give me the Vikings over Cowboys. Okay, so here's the upset with the weather. Browns over Bills. I'm doing it. If the game is played in Buffalo, the Bill- Browns are an 8.5 point underdog. Give me the Browns to win. Wonder why? Oh, because there's a blizzard coming to Buffalo. Three to four feet expected of snow to be on the ground and falling during the game. So that run game for the Browns will be huge. I like the Browns to win if the game is in Buffalo with the snow because the Bills won't run the football. They can't run the football. They have no worries to run the football. So I would take the Browns to win that game if it's in the snow. And if they move it, give me the Cowboys to lose to the Vikings. I'll take the Vikings over Cowboys. So there's that. I do think the Browns and Bills will be played in Buffalo with that snow falling. So give me the Browns and those eight and a half points all day, baby. Okay, the answer to the question. Remember, in 2017 was the last snowstorm game. The game was against the Colts and Bills in Buffalo. Who was the two starting quarterbacks? Well, I have the answer. For the Colts, it was Jacoby Brissett. And for the Bills, it was Nathan Peterman, folks. Brissett was 11 of 22 with 69 yards, one touchdown. Nathan Peterman was 5 of 10 for 57 yards and a touchdown. 
Eight to nine inches fell during the game, folks. Eight to nine inches. The Bills did end up winning in an overtime, 12 to six. Uh, Shady McCoy, LaShawn McCoy had the game winning touchdown. But the crazier thing is Jacoby Brissett was on the Colts that time, right? 2017. Jacoby Brissett is the Browns quarterback right now, too. So, Jacoby Brissett played in the last snowstorm in Buffalo, and he's going to play in the next one right here this week in Buffalo as well. So, maybe that helps him. I don't know, man. That's all the time we got. Listen, I'm sorry to break it to you. Next week, you won't hear from me. It's Thanksgiving break. A week from today is the 4Fs day, man. Family, food, fun, and football for Thanksgiving, man. That's what's so good about Thanksgiving. You get the 4Fs. Family, food, football, and fun. What else could you ask for? That's my motto, the four Fs for Thanksgiving. All right, guys. I'm JT Noah with Just Talking Sports right here on UCMDB. Remember, from usually every Thursday, 12 to 1, you get to hear from me. Next week, no show. Sorry. But that week after, I'll be right back. We'll be talking about the NBA. We'll talk NFL standings because the, the season's coming to an end. And we'll also look back at the big game in college football, Michigan versus Ohio State. Winner to the college football playoffs, most likely. All right, guys. It's been fun. I'll see you in two weeks, all right? Have a great one. I love you all. Love you, Grandpa. Love you, Mom. I love you all. Love you all. Bye.